Welcome to the Top Order Podcast. First of two episodes coming up in your feed in the very near future. In this one, I'm going to be pretty happy because we're talking about everything other than that little pesky urn, which is now down in Australia for another couple of years and likely to see Australia come over to the shores of England and rip it away out of the Lord's Museum in 18 months' time. We are going to talk all things New Zealand cricket, tours coming up, domestic wrap-up, and of course, South Africa uh, versus India. A bit of spice there as well. All coming up on the Top Order podcast. Stay tuned. Hey, Brian. Uh, just jumping in, and obviously me jumping in here at the start of the pod probably gives you a bit of a signal that something has changed since our recording, and, and that's exactly the case. We recorded uh, last night. I'm talking on Wednesday night here in New Zealand. Recorded on Tuesday night sort of with the hope that uh, New Zealand was still going to be able to go over to Australia for this white ball tour uh, and woke up this morning, I think we even mentioned it on the podcast, that we might wake up to a, uh, a an email from New Zealand Cricket. And um, it didn't happen first thing in the morning, but it happened uh, in the afternoon. And, yep, that tour has unfortunately been cancelled. Uh, so me and Ball there here just to kind of sum up that. And then we'll we'll still leave you the rest of, of our episode as it was. We sort of discussed um, that situation when we thought the tour was still going to go ahead. Uh, and also... Uh, discussed a few players that might have been in and around that squad and so that hopefully still be interesting to kind of think about who might have been on that tour and things but Baldy I guess uh, initial reactions from a from an Aussie point of view disappointment it certainly is from from my from my camp well absolutely I mean the last time we played each other was a T20 World Cup final and then series before that was New Zealand versus Australia in New Zealand and New Zealand came up trumps in that series so a chance for Australia to test their medal again against the old uh, the old neighbour and obviously those series between Australia and New Zealand are always hard fought, always very competitive and always very close so it would have been a great tune up for Australia in preparation building towards you know October, November this year in the T20 World Cup in Australia a chance for New Zealand to show what they can do in Australian conditions and start to get a feel for some of the grounds that w- they will be playing on in that T20 World Cup but for fans in Australia I mean for guys and girls listening overseas tens of thousands of cases, you know, state by state in Australia each day at the moment. Uh, Omicron really spreading its way through the Australian states uh, unchecked um, without very many restrictions or lockdowns at all. So, you know, it's not a great place for for cricket to take place uh, without strict biosecure bubbles. And unfortunately for New Zealand, uh, the New Zealand government have, have basically said that we're unable to fit you into our MIQ isolation and quarantine program coming back from that tour with any certainty so enough uncertainty on both sides I think for the tour to be postponed and I think that's the word that we need to use here it's been postponed again I think for the second or third time now uh, in consecutive summers so really disappointing uh, from a fan's point of view and I think from a build-up to the World Cup point of view but from an Australian player's perspective, I think some of them will relish a break in between uh, the the tough test series against England. And I mean tough in terms of lots of days of cricket over a short period of time uh, and then easing into the tour against or easing back into the, the swing of things with a tour, um, com- a Sri Lanka coming over to Australia, I think. Um, and then Australia, obviously, then going to Pakistan for an extended period of time as well. So maybe a mini break for those Australian players to relax, refresh and have a bit of a Christmas holiday. Yeah, I mean, you touched on it just there. So, and essentially, New Zealand Cricket and Australian or Cricket Australia came up with the, the plan. And um, I, I think everything we talk about 
on the podcast that will follow is is what New Zealand cricket and, and cricket Australia wanted, uh, and and basically it came down to New Zealand cricket kind of getting the sign off from from the government to say we'll we'll slot you back in the MIQ and you can get back into the country at, at some point, but just that uh, the government wasn't wasn't able or, um, to kind of give the the assurance with uh, with everything that's happening at, at our borders and um, yeah they just decided that. New Zealand cricket couldn't send a team over there with without that assurance, so that's yeah, sort of fair enough. But completely gutted ball there as well from from my point of view. I mean, I um, really, really was super interested in um, you know the fact that we were going to be sending some players over that were not in this test squad, so it was going to be all white ball players and all um, the chance for some new players to to maybe be blooded and and some players that we haven't seen. And then get tested against the Australians because they, you know, as much as uh, we give you stickball there, they're always the side that New Zealand wants to beat and um, they're always the side that we find toughest to play against, particularly in Australian conditions. So, yeah, very, very disappointing about that. A couple of things that I have seen uh, floating around which would, would sort of make me smile a bit is uh, that there's been a lot of chat around uh, people suggesting maybe we should get out a, a New Zealand A side and, and play some of those games against the Black Caps white ball team and or north-south or, or just kind of get something going and it's been the same with Australia so yeah it, it would be awesome if they could pull something off and I guess do something for the fans but also um, I, I think it would be nice to be able to pick those squads because um, I think there were players that potentially were going to be named for the first time in those squads and um, at the stage that no one's ever going to know who they were. Yeah, that's the really disappointing thing for some of those players, particularly in the New Zealand setup, that were probably going to make their first tour and, and get their first taste of international touring life. And we'll get to that as we get into the podcast. But it will be disappointing for those players, I'm sure. Hopefully we can get some kind of cricket, um, even if it's a, a series of charity or exhibition matches. Obviously, with the recent uh, volcano and damage in Tonga, there's an opportunity potentially for cricket to stand up there and put a charity game on that might um, go towards you know helping some of that relief effort in Tonga as well. So that would be a, a, an outcome that I think would benefit um, both the, the Pacific community and, and also cricket as well. So let's hope that goes ahead. Well, that's probably enough from us. Let's return you to regular scheduled programming and the four of us on the Top Order podcast just after the swish. Well, guys, lots going on in the world of cricket um, outside of the, the, uh, I guess, the the Australian uh, bubble or managed environment, I think they're calling things these days. But let's start with cricket in New Zealand. A healthy summer, some beautiful weather and some, some great cricket going on as well. Yeah, look, we'll, we'll get to the Super Smash in a minute because I think it's been a, a fantastic tournament. There's been, you know, heaps and heaps of close games. It's yeah, a lot of really good cricket going on. But I guess probably the first place for us to start is some somewhat breaking news, I suppose, for us uh, recording on a Tuesday night here. Uh, it's been sort of suggested a little bit uh, in the media coming up to today. But now there's been a report on News Hub today about how... how Potentially, this New Zealand men's tour to Australia is going to go ahead, but it potentially it will last a lot longer. And the games that Australia was supposed to play, three T20s, which we're a little bit gutted about here because I think we're all going to go down to Wellington uh, for, for the back-to-back T20s down there. But it looks like that might now be cancelled. And the New Zealand side that does go over there, we might get to who comes over there in a minute, but it looks like they might be over there for about six weeks, eight weeks now. 
So to sum that up, Stewie, the Australian team is not going to come to New Zealand now and we would likely play an extended series Australia versus New Zealand in Australia. Is that the current sort of news breaking at the moment? That's what it sounds like. I mean, look, you know, we could be here. We might wake up to a media release tomorrow morning from New Zealand Cricket saying that the tour is completely canned. You know, you're, you're sort of going to potentially know what the situation is by the time you listen to this podcast and, and maybe there'll even be a team. I'm sure there must be players sort of penciled in at least told because I think they're supposed to leave if they go on Monday to go so that you know there must be plans in place and they must know that they're going to go if they are going to go do you reckon that's actually a good thing with the World Cup coming up uh the T20 World Cup coming up is it not a good thing that we might stay there and it might fall in our favor playing those extra 2020s yeah well look it could be because I was thinking when there was talk about this series potentially being cancelled against Australia I was thinking that's really gutting for, um, you know, me, I guess, as a, a fan that is interested in, I guess, that next level down. And um, and I, I suppose we should mention, for anyone who doesn't know it, this will be a, a white ball team that does go over there. The Test players, New Zealand men's Test players, will stay here in New Zealand. There's this tour against, well, there's South Africa coming over here, so that for two Tests. So none of those players will be involved. I do think about someone like Ross Taylor and whether... If it's a six-week, eight-week tour, maybe he doesn't want to go on that tour. You know, we we shall see what unfolds there. But, yeah, I think it could be really useful because COVID has been pretty disruptive for New Zealand's second tier down in terms of we, we were getting a lot of NZA cricket. Uh, we did get a bit of that last summer with the teams that came here. They, they also brought... Uh, extended squads and had uh, games against New Zealand A, but we haven't seen any of that this year because of the managed isolation system. It, it must be really difficult, and and the logistics must have been really tricky for New Zealand cricket. I don't I don't envy them trying to work all this together. Well, look, I guess we're in a massive period of uncertainty. You know, we're sitting here in in Auckland. We seem to have dodged a bullet with the new uh, variant this week. That the cases that have come out may not have. Um, got into the community as much as we might have feared. But the question I want to bring it back to the cricket is the IPL follows pretty hot on the heels of March 2022. Does this factor into maybe some of those big name players thinking about, do you know what, I don't want to risk maybe being stuck somewhere and I can't get to my to my IPL gig. You know what impact might that have on the team? I know we're speculating wildly on this, but it's got to come into the thinking of some of the the players and and the administrators alike. Well, I think it's it's complete. It's like that even for the Trans Tasman bubble, right? Because they were thinking. I mean, that's what why this tour was scheduled for this moment because the bubble was supposed to be open at this point. We were supposed to be able to go over there, come back, maybe have seven days isolation at home, and be able to kind of then go and transition back to, to normal life. Now we need MIQ spots for those players. The you know New Zealand Crickets has said that they they didn't book them because they thought that they were you know going to be able to just get back in. They didn't book them as a backup. People have said kind of why didn't you do that? But they've you know they've also said look we've we've taken up so many spots. Um, we didn't really feel like it was the right thing to do. They've got all the women's World Cup squads that are, that are coming here as well. So look. Th- it sounds like everything's just being made on the fly, which is just the way of the world right now, and, and they're going to have to do that. And, yeah, look, I, I don't know. I mean, it's going to be a factor for, for all the players. You've seen players, uh, all the, the Ashes players, all of them talking about, are you going to put your name in the in the hat for the ring? Australia, 
I think all their test players go to Pakistan at the same time as some of these tours were going to be going on anyway. So yeah. it seems to be just how it is. There's just so much cricket that you don't know who's going to be playing at, at any moment. And we've already started to see the fallout players, English players pulling out of the IPL auction today as well. Um, big name players pulling out of the IPL auction. You raised a great point, Adam, whether or not some of these New Zealand players like maybe Finn Allen, who are on the cusp of being able to play in the lucrative IPL now, an expanded IPL that's going to feature more teams, more opportunities for guys like potentially Martin Guptill to get a contract, etc. maybe even Colin Munro to be able to get a contract. Are those guys going to start prioritising the six to eight weeks in the IPL versus now what looks like to be maybe a six to eight week tour of Australia to play seven or eight days of cricket over there? So it's going to be a real pressure point now in terms of players starting to make decisions about where they go and what format of cricket that they play. And, of course, we've got New Zealand playing two formats at the same time, Australia potentially playing two formats at the same time. So everything is getting stretched and stretched and stretched, and we've seen that in all the domestic tournaments, Big Bash, Super Smash, various players coming and going in that as well. So And England's I mean, England's players are just about to start a, a T20 series in the West Indies, and their, their test players aren't there as well. I mean, we should probably move to uh, the actual players and, and the squad that might come up. I want to throw a few names out there because I sort of tried to put together a, a bit of a white ball squad for New Zealand. I, I Probably the other point I'll just make quickly is that it'll be very interesting, the impact on New Zealand domestic cricket, because if we've got 15 players out of our system for six to eight weeks, and then you take the test players out, suddenly that's 30 players of a you know relatively small pool here in New Zealand that are just gone for almost the rest of our New Zealand domestic summer. So mm. that'll be very interesting. But look, I'll, I'll throw... Call up for you, Stuart, potentially for, for Auckland. Stay fit. Uh, yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think Eddie Ashok's got me covered well and truly covered there. But um, I'll throw a few names out for... I guess the the locks who I think are there for for the squad. So we've got Gupta if he's fit. Um, presumably, if it's a longer tour, he probably would go. Um, rumours are that he would be back potentially around the end of Jan, um, which is when I think the first game is scheduled. So if it was that really short tour, maybe he wouldn't have made that one. But I don't know. Finn Allen, Glenn Phillips, Ross Taylor, Mark Chapman, James Neesham, uh, Mitchell Santner, Ish Sodi, and Lockie Ferguson. All happy with all of those? All all locked in. I think so. Those look good. Uh, I like that Finnellan's at the top of the order there. Was that just alphabetical? No, no, no. I think I think yeah. I'd love to see him and Guppy open and uh, and and Phillips at three to really sort of you know give those guys a an opportunity to for the fireworks at the start. And and I think Phillips personally, I think Phillips is better at the top of the order trying to take the initiative there. Um, the next couple of uh, ones that I have are sort of on the cusp there. And I've, I know I've mentioned this many times, the keeping. Seifert, do you take Tim Seifert on this tour? No. Yeah, I, I think not. And I, they've been so uh, they've been so loyal to their players. And, you know, he went on that tour. But, look, I, I looked at, um, you know, I tried to find a case for him. But there just isn't one. He, he's just really struggling for form. His last 10 innings for ND, his highest score is 38 not out. And every other innings, he hasn't made it past 15. So... I just can't see that's and that's not even the New Zealand stuff where he's been struggling even more. So, so you take Cleaver and you take Cam Fletcher. I don't know. I think I think yeah, it depends how many you want to take in the squad. But I think there's certainly a case to take at least one of them ahead of Fletcher, and then you know you've got someone like Finn Allen who has been keeping for Wellington here and there. So if you don't want to take two keepers, you can probably take him. 
it's very valuable having a keeper who's in that that top order, the top four. If you can, you've got someone who's keeping as well, that just opens up your batting lineup all the way down. Absolutely. I mean, loads and loads of people are still sort of throwing Glenn Phillips and his name in the mix as a keeper. I feel like those days are done. You know, the fact that he's just ah, yeah, yeah, he's he, so good in the field, and 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 he wants to bowl. You know, he seems seems clearly interested in working on his bowling. Yeah, I just think those days are, are done, and we can kind of you know, I think break glass in case of emergency, he could be there, but. Otherwise, I think that's done. And then it, it really comes down to that huge kind of core of seamers that we uh, that we have. So there's Milne, who has a, a knee niggle at the moment. There's Ben Sears, who we saw in Bangladesh. Jacob Duffy, Doug Bracewell, Blair Tickner. I mean, who, are there any names there, Raj, that you're like, desperately, I really want that player to go? Not really. I mean, I, I, I think you've, you've got people there. Do we reward performance in the Super Smash? I think we, we should. We should be doing that. And then you're looking at the likes of uh, Matt Henry, who's taking wickets. Well, I, think he'll be in the as well. I think Henry will be in the test squad. It's a sort of unfortunate situation for him because he just ends up being your 12th, 13th man in this this whole summer and, and he doesn't play any cricket. But one in the one day and T20 stuff, he's been really good for New Zealand. Or one day in particular. That's really that's really um, unfortunate. If, if he's missing out games because he might be in the squad for the Red Bull, but really he's behind all those seamers, that's really unfortunate for him. I guess the other one is Jacob Duffy as mm. well. He, no, I would have seen see Jacob Duffy in that New Zealand White Bull squad for sure. The the one that the one that stands out for me personally is, is Sears because I think um, when I look at the New Zealand side, I know I know there's probably a bit of overlap there if Milner does end up being fit and he goes and, and you've also got Lockie. There's a bit of overlap with Sears because, you know, they're your sort of out-and-out out quicks. But w- when you look at that New Zealand bowling attack, it's it's on the older side and there's not that many, you know, we don't see, we don't, there's going to, I think I said it last time, there's going to be a point where maybe Kyle Jameson becomes the leader of that attack and hopefully in about, you know, five years time, and who are the, who are the next ones coming through? Because the Bracewells, the even the Milnes and Tickner, and they're they're you know they're closer to thirty than they are to twenty. So, uh, you know, I Sears is someone who's young, and and I thought he showed actually quite a bit in Bangladesh in conditions that were not helpful. Um, but you know, it's yeah, I th- I think he's got a lot of potential, and I'd really like to see him. The the one other name I'll throw out there that. I would not have been in favour of, of keeping uh, in the next or in three games ago, but suddenly is making a really good case for himself as Colin de Gronholm. The mullet's gone and the runs are just absolutely flowing now. Sixes over extra cover, played some really great knocks for, for ND. In so the, it's the reverse Samson situation. He's cut his hair off and all of a sudden he's regained his strength. Look, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, he, he's sort of got his mojo back. I mean, that you, you saw in Bangladesh those games and, and he just couldn't it didn't look like he could hit the ball he he couldn't clear the rope he couldn't just nothing was going his way he looked so out of touch but yeah these last couple of games I mean there's, there was an incredible game um, that I don't know if you guys have seen the highlights of, of the Ford Trophy game where Lockie Ferguson just destroyed ND got six for but in um, Mitchell Santner and Colin de Gronholm kept ND in that game put on a massive partnership De Gronholm got 126, and you know, yeah, he's he's just in good form, and he's he's playing shots that look effortless, and they're going for big sixes, and and that's sort of the De Gronholm when he was at his best a few years ago. That's what we saw from him. Can I make a case for Colin De Gronholm to be locked for that tour? I think on big big pitches, Colin De Gronholm can hit sixes on any ground. It doesn't matter 
how big the ground is. If he's in good form, he can hit the ball on the MCG, on that big Perth stadium. He can hit the ball a long way on any ground. In Australia, if he can hit the ball well off the back foot and he can hit the ball off length, he can be a really big factor for New Zealand in that T20 World Cup for Australia. So I would want him on that tour just to see how he goes. And if he performs well, batting at five or six or seven, he's an alternative. He's a, he's a candidate to challenge Jimmy Neesham and, and Daryl Mitchell for you know for ownership of that kind of finishing role in that T20 side for New Zealand. I actually think he could be quite valuable in Australian conditions. It doesn't look like he's bowling much at the moment. He's just, just as a batsman? Not a huge amount. I mean, the, yeah, the Super Smash has been really interesting. The last few games have been um, spinners play, starting to play a really big part. And, um, I mean, I guess we've had really dry summer, particularly up here, up north. Um, ND is blessed, I suppose, with Mitchell Santner, Ish Sodi, um, and Joe Walker as well, who's who's bowling really well and in some of those games not even really getting much of a bowl. So that's probably playing a, a big part in the fact he's not bowling much. Because that's a massive string to his bow. His white ball sort of bowling has never really been a question. He's performed very well with the white ball as a bowler, restricting runs. But, I mean, can we select him just batting at number four, maybe up the order, having a swing or floating? Is that what you see his role being? Well, that was that was his role in the T20 side for a while. I think if we think back a couple of years ago before that injury, they were starting to... Um, Starting to try and make that his role. Batting, I think he was batting three and, and four at various points. Yeah, it, it seemed like that's what they saw his best uh, option in the, the T20 stuff to be. And look, uh, I think in a, in a tournament or in a series like this where we're not going to have Kane, we're not going to have Devin Conway, those top order players, you are looking at the likes of Fennell and Phillips, Chapman. Those are the other candidates that he's against. So if he can... You know, if he can make a case and provide some balance, then yeah, it certainly helps. And I think his experience adds to that as well. You're going to have to split squads a little bit and and mix and match with the the fact that there's so much cricket of all formats going on. So you look, I, I guess we've just talked Colin to go and I'm into onto the plane. <laughs> well, look, um, I think so. Hundred percent. I, yeah. I think he has to be there, and I think this is a massive audition for him for the World Cup in Australia, the T20 World Cup. If he performs well in Australian conditions, I think. He's got to be in that 15-man squad because he, he is a guy who could win you a big winner-takes-all game with one great performance. You know, he's that kind of X-factor player. And, and I'll just finish by saying, really, I think that that's... It, it's a good point because if they have any faith in him and they want him to play... Uh, if they want him to play international cricket for New Zealand again, I think this is the time. Like this, You've got to bring him in, get him in here, see if he can be useful at that level still. And if he's not, then I think then then you're moving on because it seemed like after Bangladesh that there was no way back almost. Mm. Last one. How far away is Colin Munro from being in that New Zealand squad? Do you think the New Zealand selectors have drawn a line through his name, unfortunately, for him for the for the rest of the um for the rest of his career in terms of representing New Zealand? Can't pick two Collins in the same squad. <laughs> it's tough, isn't it? I think so. Um, look, I mean, you know, on, on balance, if you were looking at that squad and you're taking all the test players out and you're picking a, a T20 squad, then I think your your name, his name would certainly be in the mix on balance of actual talent. Um, I think probably what works against him and, um, is that the first three games are ODIs um, and he hasn't been especially good at ODIs. He, he doesn't even play ODIs anymore. He just plays T20s mm. because of you know, the way that he's building his own career and, and getting the most out of his last few years. So I, I, I think that moment is is done for him. Which is a shame because he has been quite good for the Perch Scorchers over the last few years in Australian conditions in T20 cricket. So 
you know, maybe maybe here's a case of if he hangs around long enough in Australia and there's an injury, he might find his way into that squad. But I can't see it other than other than that potentially, which is a shame because he's been a, a great servant of New Zealand cricket in T20 at least for a long period of time. And and just before we move to uh, the India South Africa stuff, because there's yeah there's there's plenty to talk about there. I guess I will just reiterate that like, I've just been loving the Super Smash. So many tight games. Probably more so in the men's side because for the women's side, the Blazers are just so good. It's actually unbelievable. I mean, we we're just watching some highlights before of oh uh, of uh, the the demolition of of ND and Amelia Kerr's just uh, yeah, it's so great to see her back playing and uh, look, if she can be if she can bowl like she did, uh, you know, a couple of wrongs there that Baldy was uh, salivating over. Unbelievable. Spark Sports subscribers, if you have a subscription to Spark Sport, do yourself a favour, get on the highlights of the Wellington women versus Northern Districts women's game. About two minutes in, Amelia Kerr takes her first wicket, it was very good delivery, and then Amelia Kerr goes literally bang, bang with two wrongs that I, I can't remember first-class cricketers being more confused over how to play one delivery, let alone two. It was just incredible. Amelia Kerr, take a bow. Two wrongs. Hitting the hitting the top of off stump, ragging from like a foot and a half outside off, it was just incredible. I'm I'm still thinking about it. It's brilliant. Yeah, absolutely be- brilliant. Beautiful. And look, Raj, you must be pretty stoked. We talked on the cr- cricket miss episode about your wish for cricket, uh, New Zealand cricket this year. You talked about a fit Lockie Ferguson. You talked about a fit Devin Conway and a fit Finn Allen. Conway and and Ferguson in particular just absolutely firing to start the year. And Finn Allen scored a couple of 50s as well. I think he's been doing well. But yeah, that's what I want to see. I think that they're a massive, massive part of definitely our white ball side. But like I said, if you could get someone like Lockie Ferguson into into one of those green wickets that we just saw uh, Bangladesh play on, it'd be destructive. So yeah, it's good to see them fit and firing, all of them. Guys, before we switch formats, should we touch briefly on the Under-19 World Cup? We were talking about it just before we came to air, watching a bit some highlights, actually some um, pretty handy spin in that Australia-Sri Lanka game, I think, Baldy, that we were watching. Australia-West uh, Indies. Australia-West Indies, sorry. Yeah, Australia got off to a good start against the West Indies, had a pretty uh, comprehensive victory and, and unfortunately got done by Sri Lanka, actually. Sri Lanka performed very, very well, chased down a big score against Australia. But I just want to highlight... Uh, from the Baldy scouting report. You may have seen it in the test coverage from Hobart, but... Oh, so uh, you've scouted someone that's been picked for their country, have you? Yes, I have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, good. Yep. Uh, so you've heard it here third. Uh, you, will have, you will have seen it on, on Sparksport in the comment, uh, in the Under-19 World Cup. You will have seen it in the test coverage of the Hobart test match between Australia and England that we'll get to in the next episode. I've got one to watch for you, mate. Have, a, have yep. a look at Scott Boland. Yeah, Scott Boland. He's one to watch. <laughs> Uh, he's one to watch. But no, uh, Navethan Radhakrishnan from Australia, uh, special because he bowls left-arm orthodox, but also right-arm orthodox. So he bowls in international cricket at under-19 level with both left-hand and right-hand in the same game, actually. So if you have a look at his Crick Info profile, it says bowling style, right-arm off-break, slow left-arm orthodox, which I thought was brilliant. And in fact, he was interviewed, and it was on the coverage of the Hobart Test in a quiet moment, uh, between English wickets. Um, <laughs> can't be very long. <laughs> it was a short interview. That's 30-second um, segment. Yeah. Uh, but no, they were asking him, you bowl left-arm and you bowl right-arm. And he did in this particular game against the West Indies. He bowled left-arm orthodox and he bowled right-arm offspin. And they were they asked him, do you think you should tell the umpire? Should have to tell the umpire because bowlers do when they go over or around. Or, in fact, bowl left-arm or right-arm. 
Uh, he said, well, I shouldn't have to tell the umpire. A, bat, a batter doesn't have to tell me if he's going to switch hit or change his stance or whatever um, in facing my deliveries. Why should I have to bot, but tell him what arm I'm going to bowl with? So, you know, this could be a watershed moment in the history of cricket that uh, Navethan Radhakrishnan might, might instigate a conversation around change for whether or not bowlers have to declare whether they're bowling right arm or left arm. Now, this is this is the next step in the evolution of, of 2020 cricket. Mm-hmm. You're going to have 11 ambidextrous batsmen and, and bowlers, yeah, so there's absolutely. no data-driven decisions. It's going to be problematic at club level with the sight screens. Uh, every single club side is going to need to invest in uh, extra wide sight screens or double sight screens. Well, you just throw, you just you know you've got to have two two players down at one end pushing the side screen back and forth every single ball. Yeah, it's normally from the batting side though, isn't it? So they'll have to have a bowling sub to change the uh, side screen with a little signal uh, behind the back as the bowler runs up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. It's ludicrous. Well, on on your batters, from a batter's point of view though, because I I'm sure you can probably guess which side of the fence I'm on in terms of whether he should have to inform the batter of his decision. Uh, batter doesn't tell me what shot they're going to play. So, look. What do you guys think from a batting point of view? Should is that fine? Would you be you know completely thrown off if I ran into bowl at you and then suddenly just started bowling left arm? Uh, I don't think I'd be thrown off by it. Uh, I think it's one of those rules that's a bit of a courtesy, isn't it, in cricket? Traditional. Mm. It's whether you want to keep that in the game or not. I'm not willing to die on that hill. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think it's going to happen. So it, it, you know, if you run up and you've got three guys at slip and then you decide to change. Does that mean you've got three behind square on the leg side and then it's a no ball anyway? So there's a lot of uh, logistics to actually work through. So um, I think whilst you spinners would love it, I think you're, you're living on cloud cuckoo land. It's <laughs> yeah. a batsman's game, boys. Yeah, fair enough. Look, this guy is probably a, a unicorn, to be fair. I think you, Stuart, He's not the first to have done it recently, no. though. No, no, I think there was a, a Sri Lankan or maybe an Indian player who has also done it at maybe a, a junior under-19 level. So yeah, it remains to be seen if he's going to be able to do it at first-class level, which is, you know the next step in the evolution of, of Navethan's career. But let's let's watch him with great interest, as they say, and see if he if he develops into a first-class cricketer. And look, I can't wait. I can't wait for Ian Harvey, Mark too. And I guess if we're talking about the Under-19 World Cup for New Zealand listeners, you may notice that New Zealand does not have a team at this tournament, uh, which is, it's a it's a massive shame. I mean, I'm sure for, you know, I was never lucky enough to to be in that mix, but I'm sure it's a, a huge honour and everyone we've kind of talked to in, on the podcast has said that it's been a, a, a big stepping stone and a big learning experience to go over to those tournaments and pit yourself against the best and kind of see where you're at. And, you know, obviously some pretty incredible cricketers have gone through that uh, that step in their development. And look, it, it's basically come down to the quarantine rules in, in New Zealand. It's uh, another one that New Zealand cricketers had to, to just juggle and kind of decide on. And they've basically, the, the line that has been given is that they didn't want to put the uh, the young players who, you know, potentially some of them are 17, 16 even, you know, I don't know who would have been in the squad, but, um, you know, putting them through a, a quarantine by themselves for for an extended period of time, which which you can kind of understand the well-being of the players. But, yeah, look, it's it's obviously very disappointing. A, as a, a group, they have put together a, a New Zealand development side that mm. has mainly been under-19 players that has gone round New Zealand and played against the uh, provincial A sides and um, yeah, some interesting names in there. There's a there's Jacob Cumming uh, and Tim Pringle and things who've you know obviously those surnames I think probably mean a, a bit to to New Zealand cricket. But yeah, some young promising players in those squads. Long way to travel to to the West Indies. Like there's multiple connecting flights, multiple travel hubs that they would have to go through potentially Atlanta or Atlanta or Miami, Florida to get to 
the West Indies to play that tournament. Yeah. So Sam Billings has just done the, the journey. So he's had to go from uh yeah, from Hobart to Sydney, from Sydney to LA, from LA to Miami and then Miami to Barbados. So yeah, it's a hell of a journey. And look just a real shame for, for some of those guys that it is that sort of once in a career opportunity when you're at that age to play in that under nineteen World Cup. Um, I can't help thinking that the, the government could have intervened to say, yeah, we know you're trying to look after your player welfare, but here's a solution. I'm sure the vast majority of the general public would be behind that if it was done in the right way. We've seen how not to do it in the right way with uh, Novak Djokovic and uh, Scott Morrison. But uh, yeah, I, I just really, really feel for those guys that uh, mm. would have had that, you know, that once in a lifetime opportunity taken away from them. Um, when it potentially could have been avoided. Yeah, real shame. Real shame. But we will follow that tournament with great interest here on the Top Order podcast in future episodes. Well, guys, we'll be back after the swish with all things test cricket this time. So we'll be talking about South Africa um, hosting India. Welcome back to the pod. We're going to hop over to South Africa, who've hosted India on the field, a pretty good series, um, exciting series, some performances of note that I'm sure we'll dig into. But we've got to start, I think, with some of the, uh, I guess, the what's the word? The aftermath of that with Virat Kohli resigning the test captaincy, a few stump mic incidents and um, a whole host of hijinks going on. Who's going to who's going to kick us off? Raj, should he be, you know, should he be banned for life or what, what's the what, what book should be thrown at Virat Kohli and, and some of his team? Look, I don't think I'm the best person to talk about um, complaining about decisions from umpires in the <laughs> recent past. But look, uh, to be honest, it, it's not really on from a international cricketer, let alone a captain of a side, um, saying those things. Cricket's an emotional game. I liked. I actually liked the um, responses from the South Africans. They were saying, you know, they're an emotional side. They got carried away with that emotion. And we like that because that means that we can concentrate on winning the game and that's what they did. Mm. So, um, yeah, I think they did miss a trick with that, got a little bit too emotional. Um, yeah, I'm surprised that there were no, no repercussions from that, Baldy. Yeah, I'm, I'm really surprised that there were no repercussions. I thought there should have been. If Who was it? Kikiso Rabada. Who was the player who was, who was fined and he admittedly had what NRL teams would call prior loading when it came to the judiciary um, and he had a he had a ban or something, Stu. You yeah, were, you I were think he got a ban to me uh, in the win um, against England series, against England. Yeah. He got demerits, which meant it was a one match ban yeah. for yeah. that uh, for that offence. Shouted in Joe Root's yeah. face, essentially. So he got him out. So that incident earns a player a ban and earns him a trip to the match review committee or whatever the ICC equivalent is. I would have thought that these particular comments that were made by Virat Kohli and R. Ashwin and K.L. Rahul. So it wasn't a single comment. It was multiple comments directly into the stump mic. So it was a not even trying to hide, you know, I was talking to my teammate. You know, the Australians try to hide their sledging by saying, I'm not talking to you better. I'm oh, talking Rady to Ashwin first addressed Supersport. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he addressed Supersport in the stump mic. So it Did could... he do it respectfully? I, no. Did he say, dear Supersport? I don't think Mr. so. Mr. Supersport? We didn't, he to didn't... whom it may concern. No, he did not. And he didn't sign it off with kind regards or anything like that. So, look, flippant jokes aside, those players directly addressed the broadcaster. And you can't accuse them of saying that the other side was cheating because they were addressing the broadcaster, not whoever, which was incorrect because it's Hawkeye and it's an independent body and all the rest of it. But those kinds of comments should have resulted in those players at least fronting some kind of ICC hearing and getting a fine or a slap on the wrist or something 
something more than there is no case to answer here. Because if you can do a Neil Wagner and give it the old come on and have to appear in front of the ICC match committee, those comments should warrant appearance in front of an ICC match committee. I think about it like if this was David Warner who said that or if this was Steve Smith who said that, (laughs) 100% the cricket public would be calling for them to have some kind of disciplinary action or appear in front of a committee, I would say. I think the cricketing public are saying that, though, Baldy. Well, they are, absolutely. And and I'm not alone in that. And so I think the match referee should have referred that incident. And And interestingly, the match referee was neutral. So he was was Andy Andy Pycroft, uh, former Zimbabwean international. So obviously close ties to South Africa lives there, I believe. But um, yeah, there was, you can't even level that it was a South African uh, match referee. Well, and it's hard, I mean, it's hard to look at that and say there's no disrepute. I mean, that that is what disrepute is. That is what it is. It's 100% what it is. And, And the comments were unequivocal. They were addressed directly to the stump mic. They can't be misconstrued as anything else. That was a direct attack at the broadcaster and, by extension, the neutrality of the system, and that's the issue that I have with it. What, what did you guys think of the actual decision? So th- that's the elephant in the room Just here, right? Just get back to that. That's the elephant in the room. The reason that these guys had to yell at the stump mics was because the umpire was agreeing with them <laughs> that this was a completely wrong decision. Um, yeah, Maria Rasmus was really like, what? He was saying it was impossible. We said it about three times. Yeah. What, what, and... This is interesting. This is something we actually have to look at because, in my opinion, I don't know, I haven't canvassed you guys, but in my opinion, that was just completely wrong. That oh, was definitely wrong. hitting 100%. the stumps. Yep. They've got to be able to throw that out. or They've got to be able to go, that's inconclusive or that's not right because it wasn't. But then I guess how, if you're saying that, how do we trust anything? Like, I think that's the thing. We have to be able to trust. If we're going to trust the system, we have to trust every decision the system makes, don't we? Otherwise... <laughs> what are we even using it for? I, I think that the, the parallel that I might draw is when one of the bits of technology isn't available. So when, you know, real-time Snicko or when Hotspot isn't available, they have to disregard that from the decision-making process. And then if there isn't that sort of conclusiveness of evidence, they have to say, oh, it's going to stay or, or, or be changed based on the fact that, you know, the technology is not working at that particular time. I guess there wasn't an indicator that the Hawkeye predictive pathway had gone um, on the fritz, but, <laughs> but maybe that needs to be put into the conditions to say when it's clear and obvious that, uh, you know they, they've you know taken the computation for a scud missile rather than an off break <laughs> then they maybe change that decision and that was what occurred in in this situation i yeah. think yeah look i've bagged Virat Kohli and rahul and and um r ashwin there but they're right that 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 actual decision was but there was a, no excuse was, was a real happened. bad one but there's no excuse for saying what they said but the actual decision oh it was a, it was a it was unbelievable really a lot of emotion in that series though i mean you know you they we you even just look for you know for anyone who hasn't seen the the clash between Marco Janssen and, and Jasper Bumrah you know the two of them I, I'm sure that nothing was going to come of it it would have been handbags but you know they had to had to be separated I guess you you could say out in the middle and with Janssen bowling bounces at, at Bumrah and you know these are two two players that were teammates at the IPL not very long ago and I, I think that South Africa really rattled India and, you know, I mean, they obviously did. They won this series and, mm. and they chased down two totals 
relative, you know, relatively comfortably in, in the end. Not, and not easy chases either. Not easy chases at all. Absolutely not. And, and they were games where, you know, this whole series has been low scores. And, and um, you know, I, th- I think it's a big turn up for the books. Huge. For them, for them to win the series a- at all. I think South Africa have massively overachieved in this series. Massively. In terms of the, the quality of the Indian side that was sent down to South Africa and the way that the South African players have stepped up. I mean, we talked about it at the, before the start of the series in terms of the general health of South African cricket. What are they going to be able to produce moving forward with Faf Duplessis retiring and now Quinton de Kock retiring after that first test? What kind of quality of cricket are they going to produce? They've played out of their skins here. Keegan Peterson, 276 runs at 46. He was really good. Dean Elgar, 235 runs at 47. They're the top two run scorers in the tournament. Temba Bavuma, I think, averaged 73 across the across the tournament as well. Yeah, some so really important knocks from him. Huge knocks know, from Kind him. of getting them into those positions to win those games. Yeah, and so, like, on the whole, even, like, you would say that South Africa's bowling is, is stronger than their batting with Ngidi and Rabada and now Marco Janssen coming to the fore. Norkia wasn't even in that series. Norkia is not in that side. Maharaj is a reasonable test bowler. But now their batting's starting to come along. And if you see... Um, if you see uh, Aiden Markram starting to maybe drop down to number four and bat in that middle order somewhere and you can find another opener, that's the makings of a reasonable test batting lineup. And maybe we're starting to see a resurgence in South African cricket and long may it continue. Yeah, Keegan Peterson actually did pique my interest there. His numbers, I don't think, match his... His, his numbers don't match his skill level at the moment. Mm. He showed us in that last test with the, the 250s, back-to-back 50s. He's averaging about 30 or in the mid-30s, I believe, at the moment. 35, yeah. But I think that he is a, a potential, you know, 45-plus kind of kind of batsman, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing him here in New Zealand, actually. Yeah, it's going to be really... I, I'm suddenly, you know, super interested in this series. I mean, obviously, New Zealand didn't go so well, you know, in that first test against Bangladesh, so, you know, they now feel beatable at home. Uh, that Bangladesh has proved that, but you know, if if you think that the the formula in New Zealand is to produce green pitches, fairness, I don't think we necessarily saw it that much in that Bangladesh series. But if if that's the traditional formula at home in New Zealand, you put those four South African seamers on a on a green pitch. Admittedly, I don't think it'll they'll, it, they'll have the pace in them that they might have at home. Those those South African pitches, but. Geez, you wouldn't want to get sent in on a, on a green one against those four bowlers. So if we turn our attention a little bit to India now, how long, how much longer can we have that middle order that's not performing? Mm. Well, if you have a look at the series results, and results have to speak for themselves, Ajinkya Rahane, 136 runs in six bats at an average of 22, and Tateshwa Prajara, 124 runs in six bats at an average of 20.66. Those guys now particularly with the emergence of Shreyas Iyer. Before the emergence of Shreyas Iyer, I would have thought that those guys have got a little bit more rope. But now that Shreyas Iyer has burst onto the test scene, made 100, made a 50, looked pretty good at number five, I think those guys have got a little bit less rope. The only thing that might save Rahane is captaincy. Who's going to take over the captaincy after Virat Kohli? So I've got a question for you. We were talking about KL Rahul not too long ago on the podcast. Cummins scored 100 in this series. Where where does Sharma come back into the mix? I mean, he's got to come back into the side. So does that solve one of those problems in terms of that um, that top order? And with Virat Kohli, do we see him giving away Test cricket potentially? So uh, to answer your first question, I think Rahul and Sharma are India's first choice opening batsman in, in all three formats of cricket at the moment. So I think he'll slot back in there and, and Agra will make way or or perhaps move further down the order. Mm. Um, 
and with Coley, um, him not being captain now, does that make him droppable? Oh, I love it. It in, should do. In which format? In, in any format he's not performing in. Yeah. Well, I think it, I think it does. Whether, I, I think there are bigger candidates than, than him, and I think you just named a couple of them before, certainly in test cricket, that would be, you know, I mean, Coley did score a 70 in there, you know, in, in that one of those uh, games look, looked, you know, sort of really good. In, in those two innings. scored 50s as well, Pajara and Rahani. Mm. I, I just think that Coley, actually, if you start to look back now at his numbers, you mentioned it earlier, you were calling for his head, Stu. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I think that he he's now uh, part of a middle order that is not performing and could be seen as a problem. There, mm. there's, there's definitely got to be players that are pushing them. It's a, it's a great point. And, I mean, look, if we're, you know, on Coley, I'm going to... I hope we still get to see his passion because we see it so much as uh, as captain and, you know, he, he gets a lot of stick for that passion. I mean, we just talked about, you know, that... Yeah, we bagged him for being overly zealous, but, yeah, it, but it, it is enjoyable to see that. It goes it goes too far at he various times. He's averaged 40 in the series as well, so... Yeah, look, oh, yeah, I, I don't think he's imminently about to be a drop from that test side, but, you know, he has... I, I, I think maybe Raj said it and a long time ago when we were talking about Coley, that he's been the leader that India needed um, at this time. And th- they've become a, a wonderful, wonderful side, in, particularly in Test cricket, I think, um, throughout his captaincy. And, and look, I, I just hope we get to see his excitement for that game. You, you just said, you know, will he retire from Test cricket? I think it might almost be the opposite from the way he talks, at least. He always talks about Test cricket being the pinnacle, about how we've got to really respect the test game and make sure that fans are coming to test cricket. And and it seems like he really cares about that format. So Mm. I would hope that that's where we get to see him. And, you know, yes, I've said uh, for a a while now that he's been struggling in that format with the bat, but, you know, hopefully I guess with this burden, we, we do get to see him pile on the runs again because he is an awesome player to watch. So who would you have take over the Indian side 12 months ago, Ajinki Rahane having, captained India to victory in Australia, probably the hardest place to tour. And he did so well in terms of leading India to victory there. Would have been a lock to take over the captaincy of that Indian side. He's now on the bubble. For me, he's on the bubble for being dropped from that Indian middle order, as is Chiteshwa Pujara. And you've got Rahul, who's safe. Rohit's safe. Mayank Agarwal is in the mix. Uh, Shubman Gill is in the mix for India. Prithvi Shaw is in the mix for India. All of those guys opening batters. Yeah, for Hari. Vahari's in there in the middle order as well. Shreyas Iyer's in there in the middle order. So it's not like they're short of guys to choose from, but who's going to lock themselves in and take over the captaincy of this Indian test side? That's super interesting, isn't it? And I don't think there's a... I really don't think there's an immediate candidate because Rahul, Rahul, he wasn't in the side six months ago, probably less than that. He wasn't even in their first choice test side. And then, you know, Sharma dropped out. And suddenly he's in, he scores runs, and, and he's, you know, then he was was the, the vice-captain on this tour. So maybe, you know, it, it seems maybe that he is there. But, yeah, I, I think he's someone, again, that's on that bubble of about five or six names of are they going to make the side other than Coley and Sharma? I actually think that Rahane is probably the, the front-runner there. And the reason I say that is because his temperament, the way he plays cricket... I think that he's very similar to Rahul Dravid and work well with Rahul Dravid in partnership. Um, if they wanted somebody who was opposite to, to 
to Rahul Dravid to maybe have that dynamic or that, that way to work off each other, they would have kept someone like Virat Kohli. I think that they're looking to go down down more of a uh, a conservative route there, and I think Rahani's the, the first choice. I'll ask you boys a question to ponder on whilst I then make my point, but... <laughs> When you were growing up, if you were asked whether you were going to captain for Lippi and Raj, obviously New Zealand in test cricket or New Zealand in white ball cricket and Australia in an Ashes test match or a one-day international or myself, England in a test match or a one-day international, what would you have done? And then I think this leads into a bigger thing, which is India and Virat Kohli in the last four or five years have championed test cricket. And without India championing test cricket, there's a chance that it declines significantly without India showing that they're really, really serious about it. I'd like to know what Rohit Sharma's position is because he is clearly a leader within that uh, wider group. Is his aspiration to be the test captain? I don't think they're going to have a two-format or a three-format captain, the, the amount of cricket that they play. Um, so does he maybe switch that allegiance and become the test captain and then that opens up the door in, in the one-day uh, one game? Um but honestly, I don't think we can underestimate the importance of a strong India in terms of their desire to continue to to make Test cricket a priority for them as a as a nation. I I, I think you're right in that you, the, these people, are, you know, talking about Rahani, talking about Rohit Sharma, they're at an age now where they just can't play in every single tour every single uh, format for India. So I think you're going to see split captaincy that way. I think Rohit Sharma is a great white ball captain. He's got a great white ball brain. Um, we were talking about, we've been talking about this the last 18 months, how people wanted him to take over that white ball side. I don't see that changing. People have that same feverish support for Rahane as, as a red ball skipper. So I think that that's really where we're going. The problem with that is, of course, is that Rohit Sharma is probably, of the guys that we've talked about, the only guy who's a lot to be in that Indian top order in the test format. So if you're talking about guys that are a lot to be in the team and then you pick a captain from your best 11, then Rohit Sharma's and maybe KL Rahul at the moment on form, although who knows what's going to happen with Shubman Gill and Agarwal and Prithvi Shaw, etc. But Rohit Sharma's the guy that's kind of locked into that batting order, unless you're going to go with one of the bowlers. And we've known that India... There's been... I've India seen people spinners. talking about, um, yeah, Ashwin and also um, Punt um, being groomed. And, and maybe that is where Rahane steps in, right? That Rahane comes in, does it for another year, sails off into the sunset can retire kind of on his terms. And then, you know, Rishabh Pant is ready. If you ask me, Rishabh Pant doesn't especially look like a leader when he's running down the wicket and throwing his wicket away. Granted, he did score 100 in the in the last test. But, you know, doesn't feel like a leader to me from watching him from the outside. But there are a lot of people that, that feel and, like he's someone. And if Ashwin took it, you'd need to get the mancad stats into test cricket, wouldn't you? <laughs> Uh, I think there's a difference. I hope you mentioned leadership. I think there's a difference there with, with leadership, especially in Test cricket. Uh, you saw Australia built their team around around a, a leader. Uh, he was, you know, <laughs> he, he ran into some trouble there at the end. But that was the whole the whole point was that's how they they modelled their team. And why why couldn't India do the do the same? I think they've got higher um, standard texting rates over there, so we should be all right. <laughs> but um, he, yeah, I, I think I think that there, there's no reason they can't pick a leader. To, to lead the team. In which case, that's probably Rahani, regardless of his batting performance, right? And he just needs to score enough runs to keep his place in the side, and he is that guy. 
Well, team, that, that just wraps up the podcast this evening. We've talked about India's embarrassment of riches for captaincy options. If you do want to tune into the next episode of the podcast, it will be about England's lack of options uh, for potential captaincy. But we've really enjoyed uh, talking about all cricket. I particularly enjoyed talking uh, not about English cricket for 45 minutes. So stay tuned into the feed uh, for my misery. But for now, it's good night and God bless from us all here in Auckland. See you soon. <laughs>